Podcast. MJ Schrainer Podcast, Episode 7. Welcome back, everyone, to the MJ Schrainer Podcast. You know, it's news and football been been kind of slow lately. So we have a lot of basketball topics to talk about today. Only one big football topic. I think we all know that $150 million topic is. But something you might notice, new cover art. Oh, man, it looks sleek. That's me, you know. The cover art I had initially was just intended to be temporary. And then I was like, hey, someone make me one. And everyone was like, no. I was like, dang it. And then the homie Dea plugged it up and she said, I got you. And she made me one. So shout out Dea. I got to plug her Twitter real quick. At Thotimus Prime, not a joke. You know, at Thotimus Prime, the O in thought is a zero. So I don't know. Find her on Twitter or something. I don't know. Tweet her. She knows sports. Anyways. So the topics that we're going to get in in today's episode we have the nets trading you know the nets made that big trade to clear up salary cap i'll break that down later KD being out for game four pretty tragic raps taking game three and taking a 2-1 lead in the finals and the carson one steal we're gonna lead off with the carson one steal i think i'm just gonna work our way back so carson one steal carson Wentz, quarterback for the philadelphia eagles who's always injured I don't think he's played an entire season since his rookie year. Um, he signs a deal with the Eagles, of course. Contract extension guarantees 107 million, four year 128 million, 107 guaranteed. So his total contract is six years, 154 million. That's a lot of money to pay. So something that a lot of people are talking about in terms of the Carson Wentz deal is, why would you give him that much money if he's always injured? You know, you got a backup quarterback with Nick Foles, and it was a legitimate discussion as to whether or not they should run with Foles starting and then trade Carson Wentz. I remember Nick Wright talked about trade Carson Wentz for the sixth overall pick to the Giants. Who says no? You know, and then, of course, you got the Eagles bring back Nick Foles, and it's kind of like, that's a real question. Who would say no to trading Carson Wentz to the sixth overall pick? I'm sure a lot of teams would, but... You're giving a quarterback who's never really healthy, and when he is healthy, obviously he's great. And I'm about to draw a little bit of a comparison to Sam Bradford. By no means is he Sam Bradford. He's a lot better. But Sam Bradford, always injured. When he's on the field, he's pretty damn good. But it's about getting him on the field, and of course all the injuries have taken a toll on him. He's old now, so he's not as good. But sort of like that, where when he's on the field, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. When he... Yeah, but then the problem is... You got to get him on the field. He's tearing his ACL. He's getting all these injuries. Like, you got to have a good backup quarterback, sort of like with Cam Cam Newton. You got to have a good backup quarterback because he's going to go down. So you have a good backup quarterback who can hold it down until that starter gets back. I don't think I would have gained Carson Wentz that much money, but congratulations to him for getting that much money and for having a livelihood. Brown still should have taken Carson Wentz. Rip forever. At least we got Baker, though. So, next topic, the Raptors taking Game 3. They take a 2-1 lead. As I predicted, the Raptors took Game 3. That's what I said would happen. But then I said the Warriors would win every single other game. Um, I don't like making predictions because I'm always like, I'm going to be wrong. And when I am wrong, I'm like, I know. And then everyone's like, you're stupid. And I'm like, I double know, bro. So, I am standing by my prediction. Even though gradually as time goes on, I'm like, oh no. Shouldn't have... Shouldn't have said that, 
So I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors end up winning one and then they push a game seven or maybe the Raptors win the series. I'm not going to say all that, but here's what I'm going to say. The Warriors were missing Klay Thompson, who is, you know, at the moment, their best defensive player besides Draymond Green is their best defensive player and their best catch and shoot three point shooter. You know, so you miss him. And, of course, they've been missing Kevin Durant for a while now, so it's not too huge of a deal. You know, it's I'm not going to sit here and talk about Kevin Durant in the grand scheme of things yet. But you're missing those two guys. You're probably going to lose. They lost by a lot. Steph Curry had, you know, a whole bunch of points, had an insane game. And, of course, people are still saying Steph Curry has to have that type of game every single night, even with, you know, Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant back. But that's the thing is that Kevin Durant isn't back yet. In fact, he's ruled out for Game 4. Klay Thompson will play. So Kevin Looney and Kevin Durant are out. The Raptors still need to take advantage of these games. These games where Kevin Durant is not playing, you need to capitalize, take advantage, and win. And you have to get as much as a cushy lead as possible. So when Kevin Durant comes back, they have no wiggle room. And they have to play perfect. They already kind of messed that up by losing game two because right now they could have a 3-0 lead and then Kevin Durant out for what could be a potential sweep. But instead, you're down 2-1. I mean, you have a 2-1 lead. Warriors are down 2-1. You have to hope that in Oracle, with everyone but Kevin Looney and Kevin Durant, you can take that game to take a 3-1 lead, then head back to Toronto and really bank off Kevin Durant not coming back like soon. Because that's what you have to hope for is that Kevin Durant is not healthy and you can win as many games possible. And then let's say the Raptors take a 3-1 lead or even lose, I guess. Let's say they lose and it's tied at two. You go back to Toronto, Kevin Durant comes back. You have to hope and pray that Kevin Durant is rusty and he's not going to be the same. And I think a lot of people maybe are assuming, yeah, he will be. He will be rusty. That's going to happen. But I don't know. But that's just something you have to hope for when Kevin Durant comes back is that he's just not going to be as good. So it's good to have as cushy as a lead. I'm just stating the obvious. It's good to have as cushy as a lead. So when Kevin Durant comes back, you don't have to worry about anything like that. And you're just going to be okay and set. All that being said, Kevin Durant out for game four. Disappointing for the Warriors. He'll be back. I think he'll be back this series. If he's not, that'd be awful. Then the Warriors fans are going to be like, put an asterisk next to this finals because, because you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you got to be like, well, then put an asterisk next to 2015 because Kevin Love and Kyrie went down. And LeBron still pushed six games. So if the Warriors lose in five, that's how it's going to be. Anyways, um, next topics, next topic, I should say, I'm going to talk about. You have the Nets making a trade, sending Alan Crabb to the Hawks for Tareen Prince. Ultimately, just clears up a whole bunch of cap space. They sent a lot of draft picks to Atlanta to sort of make it better. Because I think Atlanta, of course, they're willing to take on these bad contracts to rebuild and fix what's going on. And it's an approach that a lot of tanking teams should be taking on, you know, like, Oh, will you give us a first-round pick to get this bad contract off your hands? Yeah, we'll do that. Alan Crabb was going to be making $18 million. And Brooklyn, who wants to sit here 
and build this contender with the potential free agents as I talked about in the last episode. Getting rid of these bad contracts, you are going to have to give up some picks. They gave up the 17th pick. They gave up a protected first-round pick for next year. And Atlanta has all this draft capital. They have, what, the 8th pick, the 10th pick, and the 17th pick. And there are talks that they're looking to package the deals and move up, maybe with L.A., maybe with New York, maybe with Cleveland, but they're looking to package the deals to move up. So Atlanta is looking for, like, one more guy. They're looking for one more guy. They're like, we got Trey Young, we got John Collins. You know, let's draft a guy who is a top prospect, and then we can have this young core moving forward, this big three going. So all this in mind, it's sort of like, okay, well, what are they going to do to move forward? This trade worked out perfect for both teams, really. Atlanta gained draft capital to help the tank, but now we're going to talk about the more interesting part, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, as I said, is my pick to get Kyrie Irving. They now have two max contract slots where I kind of suspect D'Angelo Russell will be one and Kyrie will be the other. But what could end up happening, because D'Angelo Russell's a restricted free agent, and basically what that is is if someone goes, oh, we'll give you, for example, like four years, $20 million. Brooklyn could say, we'll match the offer and he has to resign. So that's how restricted free agency works. So teams would be going after D'Angelo Russell and teams that I kind of look at, you got the Kings, you got the Phoenix Suns. Those are kind of like my main guys who I could see signing him. Goes back to the Lakers, because why not? So I wouldn't be surprised if D'Angelo Russell gets a max contract and then Brooklyn has an option. Do we either match the offer and one of those max contract slots is up or we let him walk and we bank off signing, you know, someone else. Because let, let's just say they assume getting Kyrie's a done deal. Because making this trade, getting two slots, you got D'Angelo Russell, restricted free agent. You got options. You could say, okay, let's bring in Kyrie and let's start looking for someone else. Like Jimmy Butler or Kevin Durant or Ken Walker. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. But let's just say, like, that's kind of an approach to it. What Brooklyn could be doing... Might be insane. Insane in a good way. Well, I mean, you got to be a little bit crazy to win a championship. But that's an approach and something that I think is interesting that I really want to see happen. I'm going to be interested to see what happens with D'Angelo Russell because of Brooklyn net next year. Or if they end up just letting him walk and keep those two max slots. But see, bro, I told you. Brooklyn Nets getting Kyrie. I called it. New York going downhill. LA going downhill. That's something that you got to look at look over and see that's happening and you're like damn those franchises not panning out right now so the final topic of today on last episode i talked about who i thought would win mvp and i picked Giannis. now on this episode i'm going to talk about every other award i don't know why i only talked about mvp i think it's because i had a lot of topics to talk about that day but instead we're here and i'm gonna talk about every other award or the major awards not sort of those like obscure small ones so top into it leading off with the rookie of the year rookie of the year is down to deandre ayton luka Doncic, trey young now in a lot of scenarios people might be like are you gonna think about this it's luka Doncic. the kid's good he can play like all around 
He can facilitate. He can get rebounds. He can score. He can do everything you want him to. DeAndre Ayton had a really good rookie season. No one's talking about it. He shot 50% from the field, averaged about 16 points and 10 rebounds. He put up a really good rookie year, but because of Luka Doncic, no one's talking about it. Trey Young got off to a rocky start the first half and then started lighting it up the second half, the opposite of what he did in college. But ultimately, I think this one's going to Luka Doncic. I don't think anyone's going to be there to debate it. So that's my pick. Six man. Got Montrezl Harrell of the Clippers, DeMontis Sabonis of the Pacers, and Lou Will, also of the Clippers. The Clippers have two guys in the final three for the Sixth Man of the Year award, which to me is kind of interesting. The Clippers got a lot of depth. Might be something to look at, free agents, how much depth they got. You're going to have time to rest. Now, this one's kind of difficult. Lou Williams, really good, but he's already won it. And I know it probably pisses people off. Like, you can't just say we're not going to give him an award because he's already won it. You totally can, and that's what I'm doing. I'm not giving it to Lou Williams. DeMontis Sabonis, you look at the Pacers' success. The success of the team wasn't necessarily revolved a whole round, whole lot around their depth, but a lot of Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo, and you can see this because when Victor Oladipo goes down, all of a sudden they plummet, and then they do awful in the playoffs. So I don't think it's going to go to Sabonis, which means odd man out, Montrezl Harrell, Gonna win uh, six man of the year. And you look at his stat line, he put up pretty crazy numbers. You know, 16 points, six rebounds, two assists, whatever. He's a big, you know, 61% from the field. That's incredible. You know, he's putting up numbers that a starter would be putting up. And at the end of the day, I got him for six man of the year, 26 minutes a game. So that's not even his per 36. His per 36 would be even crazier. So, Montrezl Harrell. Love that guy. I think he's going to contribute a lot to the Clippers' success moving forward, depending on what free agents they sign. I think he's just really good. And I hope to see him more. And I hope to see him win sixth man of the year. The Defensive Player of the Year Award. As I was going through these awards, by the way, a lot of them are interesting and kind of difficult. I think Coach of the Year might be the most difficult, not going to lie. Now, we'll get there when we get there. There's only a few more. The Defensive Player of the Year award is interesting. I mean, they tally rebounds as defensive stats for some reason. I guess it's more of like, I guess, yeah, defensive rebound, but whatever. So, Biggs kind of been dominating it a lot. Except for Draymond Green, who I guess you consider him a big. I mean, he's six foot seven. I don't know if I can consider someone who's six foot seven a big man, no matter what position they play. You had Rudy Gobert. You had, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's not a big. That was my little exception. Was Kawhi Leonard? Honestly, for the love of the game, though, I'm giving it to Paul George. As I said before, if Giannis could win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, that'd be insane. I don't know how often that's been done. I feel like it's been done before. I bet like Hakeem Olajuwon did it or something. But I feel like winning MVP kind of knocks you out of winning other stuff. I'm like really awful with this. I know my opinions are weird. But it makes sense to me. To me, it's just the patterns of how things work. And if Giannis wins MVP, I don't think there's a chance in hell he wins Defensive Player of the Year. And if he wins, if he doesn't win MVP, I think him winning Defensive Player of the Year is pretty likely. But I'm going to go with Paul George. He had a you know, breakout season on the defensive side of the ball, averaging eight rebounds and leading the league in steals. He was killing it. 
and Oklahoma City, like their defense, because Russell Westbrook was also like up there. I'm pretty sure they were one and two, or at least you know both in the top three for steals per game. So what they were doing on the defensive side of the ball was incredible, as well as on the offensive side of the ball, they just couldn't really make it click. And that's something OKC perpetually does, as I talked about in one of the first podcasts. Trade Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul and find out what happens. People are overvaluing Russell Westbrook. I think a lot of people are just in love with him. Because they're like, triple doubles, the Brody, whoa. No, I'm not even going to lie. I I think I would honestly really think about a Chris Paul for him deal. Because people just overvalue him. As I talked about before, his ball hog is not efficient and he can't lead a team. Chris Paul, I mean, we don't know if he can lead a team. He's never really done it before. But I think it's worth experimenting Chris Paul and Paul George to see if that dynamic duo could work. Chris Paul, efficient, not selfish, facilitator, can score too. I mean, you'd probably want to get more on the team. You'd get another scorer in there or something. Go for Clay Thompson because the Thunder have all this money. <laughs> but I'm going to go with Paul George for Defensive Player of the Year. And again, this one is kind of close, but Paul George. You got most improved player. Most approved player might honestly be like my favorite award, only because you can't predict it at the beginning of the season. So it makes it hard to sort of, you know, where people will say, oh, I think MVP is going to be like Giannis, you know, like in October. They'll be like, I think it's going to be Giannis. You know, for most improved, you can't really have an opinion on who you think is going to win most improved because there is no real pattern. Like, maybe it's like, let's say. Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant are playing together. Kevin Durant leaves. Russell Westbrook has all this time with the ball and averages a triple-double and his numbers inflate. Like, those are probably, like, the only thing you can do to make an educated guess. So, most improved player, I really like the award. And then when the finalists are released, it's something to think about. De'Aaron Fox, D'Angelo Russell, Pascal Siakam. I'm going Pascal Siakam, and let me tell you why. I think a lot of people are going Pascal Siakam, so it's kind of a layup of a decision. We look at the numbers he put up in the 17-18 season. First of all, he's a late first round pick, which I think a lot of people, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't know who Pascal Siakam was until like this year, you know, 27th overall pick in 2016. Like, wow. So he's young. He's 25. And he's out here averaging almost 17 points a game, almost seven rebounds, and then averaging three assists, and then a steal and a block a game. He's versatile. And you look at the previous season, he put up seven points. His numbers on how much they escalate, and obviously his minutes are going up by about five minutes every season. But he's still playing, you know, he's playing 32 minutes, so he's playing under 36 still, and he's still putting up these monster numbers. You know, his points go up by almost 10 points. Rebounds by two. His assist, I mean, one, but still he improved. So the fact of just how big of a gap there is between his numbers last year and this year is all you really need to to say, excuse me, <coughs> to give him most improved player. Now, coach of the year, this to me is the most difficult one. I really sat here and thought about it. You know, you could give it to Doc River, you know, because at first I was like, you know, maybe give it to the coach whose team was, you know, had no pressure because everyone was like, oh, they'll suck and then ended up being really good, in which case, Doc Rivers and Mike Malone both sort of fit into that category. You know, where like no one saw the Clippers, you know, everyone thought the Lakers were going to be so good and then the Clippers ended up being better. And then no one really talked about Denver. I mean, I talked about Denver. 
you know, I was like, Denver's going to be real good, trust me. And then they were real good. You know, so it kind of down to them. But then you have what Mike Budenhoser did. You know, I think in terms of all three teams, the Bucks sort of had the most, the highest expectations. Did not saying they had high expectations, but they had the highest expectations. And they go out there and they win 60 games. So for me, it was kind of a lot to think about. But I think I'm still going to go, still going to go with Mike Budenhoser for the love of the game. Again, what Milwaukee did on all around, offensively, defensively, having Giannis, who's, you know, he's been gradually progressing and now he's a beast. And my pick for MVP and maybe some people's picks for Defensive Player of the Year. 60 wins, the best team in the entire league. No one was expecting it, especially in a league where Golden State rules everything and the West rules everything. For you, an Eastern Conference team who didn't have crazy high expectations to go out there and win 60 games in the best team in the league, that's all it is. And, of course, it's a regular season award, so I don't care what they did in playoffs. I care about what they did in regular season. And that alone to me is enough to give Mike Budenhoser the coach of the year. So, guys, that's going to wrap up podcast episode 7, almost said 6. This is going to be a shorter one today. I know, not a whole bunch to talk about, and the topics I had I can fly through and share my points, share my opinion. I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, new cover art, the homie Dea, Thodimus Prime, so funny to say. Shout out Thodimus Prime on Twitter. New podcast every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Today is Friday, so i got a weekend to bank off new topics coming out. Finals game four is tonight, so that'll be a topic to talk about. New predictions. Maybe Toronto wins and takes a 3-1 lead. And then maybe Golden State has to come back from down 3-1 and they can see what it's like. Anyways, guys, hope you enjoyed. I'll talk to y'all later. And I'm out.